Last week, we, we got started on, well, what I think we all saw from James was a real important area of the Christian life, our speech. And you remember what we're going through here in Truths About My Tongue. We're at Lesson 2, of course, today. I think today's January 29th. If it isn't, I'm on the wrong lesson, so my apologies. Getting to the heart of my speech. But last week, we looked at my terrible tongue looking at uh, James and what he has to say in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And if you recall, like me, or if you weren't here, remember that passage. It's a pretty brutal passage, isn't it? I mean, it's like unvarnished truth about our speech and where our speech comes from. Uh, Sometimes we talked about sticking our foot in our mouths. Sometimes we talk about our tongue being like a loaded gun. And James has, wow, he has a lot to say about the destructive nature of our tongue. Remember our tongue. And remember, he gave us four warnings about our tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, if you remember. There's a stricter judgment. And if you go through the rest of the passage there, you see why there should not be many teachers. Because it's easy to sin from our tongues. He he reminded us and showed us that we should not underestimate the powerful influence of our little tongue. Remember the small bit in the mouth of the horse that's able to guide and restrain and control a horse, just that small bit. Or the small rudder of a ship that can turn it to and fro. And our tongue wields great influence on our life. In fact, if you remember as we were looking there, that as you learn and practice godly speech, you'll invariably learn and practice living a godlier life. They go hand in hand. Now, we're not talking about speech therapy here, right? We're not talking about, anyone had soap in their mouth before? Don't raise your hands, but it doesn't taste good. Okay, so I just, a confession, I've had that before. It wasn't from Christy, it was my mother, okay, so just to make that clear. Uh, I probably needed it from Christy a few times. And it, it did reform my speech at the time, but it didn't get to where it needed to go in my heart, in the direction we're going to go to tonight. Oh, we saw last week, we can't miscalculate our tongue's ability to cause great harm. How many times it was called a fire, set on fire by hell. We were seeing there, it says the tongue is humanly untamable. Who can control it? The Bible says nobody can. And we see here the importance of the reformation of our hearts. Without Christ, without his work of the Spirit, without transformed hearts, without abiding in Christ, we can do nothing. The tongue is untamable in our human effort, in our human ways, in our human strength but not without God's help. With God's help, we can overcome sin, and we can overcome the sins of the tongue. And tonight, what we're going to take it to is how to really address that. Getting to the heart of my speech. Lesson two in truths about my tongue. And if you want to kind of summarize it, you'll see this on your handout as well. The key thought for today is like this. My words and actions are an expression of my efforts to fulfill the desires of my heart. My words and actions are an expression of my efforts to fulfill the desires 
of my heart. Another way to say this is what you say or do on the outside is a product of what rules on the inside. You guys have been taught well in this ministry. You've been perhaps taught these principles before. And I would challenge you to think them afresh today, like I've been forced to, to be able to speak to you today on this topic with a clear conscience myself. How often I forget this important connection that what I say and do is a product of what's ruling inside. And the Bible defines this unseparable tie with this words, the speech, my communication, and the inward affections of my heart. And what we'll do is turn to, uh, you can turn there or look on your page there, to our first key passage tonight to give us this connection, a passage many of you are familiar with. That's Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. Let me read that for you. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The words of Christ here. Now, in the context here, Jesus had just performed a miraculous healing. The one who received that healing declares Jesus as the Messiah. The rest of the audience didn't like that declaration, the Pharisees. And they publicly attribute the power of Christ to Satan. They blaspheme the Holy Spirit. All this after the evidences of Christ, his healing power, his miraculous workings, the signs of his deity, and the Jewish leaders outright reject Christ. And what did they do? They revealed the true nature of their hearts. They revealed their need for radical conversion. There's a revealing truth here. Jesus declares the content of our speech reveals the true nature of our hearts. And he uses the analogy of a a fruit on a tree. Okay? Help us understand this. Why we say the things we, we do, whether those are good things or bad things. Okay? Think about the quality of fruit. All right? This is our second oldest granddaughter, Margaret. We call her Maggie. Her brother calls her other things, but she's, she's our Margaret. And uh, she lives in Ohio with our, our oldest son's family. And um, in Ohio, during the fall time, if we're there at the right time of the year, we, we go out to pick apples together. And you can see this nice, golden, delicious that's about as large as Margaret is. Uh, we're ready to start biting into that one. Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Could you tell this came from a healthy tree, this apple? Yeah. You can also tell from Kroger and other places you might shop, right, whether that came from a good tree or not. Christy's favorite apple is Honeycrisp. Any Honeycrisp fans? Uh, she turned me on to that. I used to like Macintosh, and then I, I went over to Honeycrisp, and I'm like, oh, wow, one's like a sponge, and one is like an apple. And uh, <laughs> we never went back. 
And yeah, we pay a little more. And that day, we went out to the orchard looking for the Honeycrisp section, which they said they had, followed the map, went our way. Maggie's helping us. And to our, our chagrin, there were no fruit on the Honeycrisp apple trees. In fact, they looked really bad, the trees. They were withered. Uh, not even the bark was growing. I mean, everything was just dead on these trees, and there was no fruit. Went back and talked to the owner of the orchard, and yeah, disease came through, and they lost all their, their Honeycrisps, and it's like, oh, it'll be Kroger for the Honeycrisp and Golden Delicious today. What can we do? We, we could see what was a healthy tree and what, what wasn't based on the fruit on the outside. The fruit showed the root, right? The fruit leads down to what's really where the nature, the health of the tree is. And this is the analogy Christ gives us. What proceeds from the mouth, the fruit of our mouths, whether it's wicked or good, comes from the root, our hearts, right? So uh, with these principles, let's take some takeaways from Matthew 12 before we keep moving along here. And the first one is this. God cares about my words and speech. He says in verse 36, I tell you, on the date of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Listen to what I say here. We will actually think this. Jesus only cares about my heart and not what I actually say. Ever say something like that or think something like that? Well, Jesus does care about your heart. He cares about it so much that he compels you to listen to your words and pay attention to the very things that reveal the nature of that heart. Pay attention to those things that truly reveal your heart's condition. And that's one of our goals in this class. What he says is the monitor of your heart here is your speech, what proceeds from your mouth. And that takes us to a second point about another takeaway here in Matthew 12. My tongue displays the condition of my heart. It says, you, you brood of vipers there in 34, verse 34 and 35. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. The tongue is the spokesperson for your heart. Our hearts, right? The tongue. What proceeds from the mouth comes from the heart. Unrighteous speech just gives our heart away. It's the snitch on the playground, if you will, right? When you've done something you shouldn't have. Our kids liked recess uh, growing up, that cartoon. And uh, Randall was the snitch. I'm always talking to Miss Finster uh, and getting the uh, rambunctious boys and girls in trouble. Sorry, I'm dating myself with these. Uh, it was our children's cartoon they would watch. Our lips, our speech... They snitch on our hearts. And again, that can be good speech that comes from good things in our heart. It can be sinful speech from sinful things in our heart. Unrighteous speech, speech just gives away the heart's condition. And think about this uh, verse in James, chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle or control his tongue, but deceives his heart... This person's religion is worthless. Pay attention to your speech. 
It is so easy to polish the car on the outside when the problem is under the hood, right? If you want to get from point A to point B, it's not by polishing the car, but it's taking care of the engine, right? And James, the Lord Jesus, they're, give, they're, 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 they're getting our attention over to where it needs to be. Religion is worthless if it doesn't take our actions and our speech and take it back to its source, the heart. One other takeaway from James or from Matthew 12 is this. To change my speech, I must address my heart. Now, of course, the focus here is not as much the speech as the heart. Jesus is addressing the heart and the need for a new heart for these Pharisees. But make no mistake about it. To change my speech, I must address my heart. It's not speech therapy. It's not behavior modification. Uh, so often we look back and we think of things we've said that we wish we could take back. Harmful words, hurtful words, angry words, resentful words, gossip words, flattering words. How do we change? How do we change that? How do we become more like Jesus in our conduct and our speech? I must go to the root. My heart. It's like a, a ventriloquist, all right? Who's seen a ventriloquist before, a little dummy on their lap? Are you freaked out a little bit about a ventriloquist, a little dummy? If you, if you have an aversion to clowns, you probably do to these uh, dummies, right, with a ventriloquist. And they always got freckles and the smirk on their face and the, you know, mouth going up and down. And, and uh, you know, there's usually snarky, you know, kind of sarcastic humor uh, coming out of the mouth of the dummy. And you start listening to that thing and it's like, yeah, I want to slap that dummy's face, you know. <laughs> Just stop. Uh, I could go up there, I could slap that dummy. And I'm slapping the wrong person, all right? I probably shouldn't slap the source. But... <laughs> You get my point, right? Uh, he's just the spokesperson for the guy where, you know, the, the, the words are coming from. Oh, wow. We just, we, as Christians, we can just be uh, such moralists, if you will, striving with sincere intentions to change our hearts and our lives, to make them more like Jesus. And oh, so often we're warned and we're reminded in Scripture how much we need God's grace, how much we need the work of the Spirit, and how much we need to focus our efforts on the right things. Behavior modification, slapping the dummy, is not the solution. It's caring for your heart and attending to that. Okay, so tonight we're going to be thinking about listening to our heart, uh, by listening to our speech, and of course in the coming weeks as well. Now, changing the heart is good news, because that's what God specializes in. God sent his son to change hearts. This new covenant prophesied in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says, I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. The things God calls us to, he's accomplished at Calvary. He's accomplished in Christ. And as we look at this 
important area we must remember we are completely dependent on the work of Christ to transform our lives, to change our tongues, and to live a life that's ever more pleasing to him until he takes us home. God has committed to us in this work. The work he has begun, he will complete. Be encouraged. We look at those passages like we did in James last week. It was like, what do I do? I, I mean, James nailed down my evil tongue. Uncle, I'm done. It's over. It's untamable. It's uncontrollable. I've caused so much harm. I've caused so much hurt. And this is the reason Christ came. And he has committed to make you more like the Lord Jesus. And that will mean changing your speech. They go hand hand in hand. Let's look a little deeper into this heart thing. Paul Tripp said it this way. Word problems are always related to heart problems. Now, he's really uh, restating what Jesus already said very well, right? But it's true. Word problems are always related to heart problems. Stated differently, perhaps, the sinfulness of my heart is always the source of the sinfulness of my speech. Now, what is this heart? Well, a heart is a person's control center, right? It's the source of all your behavior. It's your innermost center of yourself. It contains your intellect, your passions, your desires. It's where your emotions flow from. It's the seat of our desires, of our ambitions. It's what, it's what our heart, our, our inmost being is what motivates us and directs our outward behaviors and your speech. In other words, your heart is the real you, right? Proverbs says it well, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life, the water flowing out of the spring, whether it's good water or bad water, what's it going to, where's it coming from? Well, this analogy here, it's from your heart. The flow of life, what comes out of life, comes from the inner man. And it says in this passage, keep your heart. There's some work involved here. I have to watch my heart. I have to know where my heart's at. With all vigilance, right? There's a tension needed here. Keep your heart with all vigilance. It's not something to ignore. I'm saved, ready to live life on my own. I'm enjoyed Sunday, live life for myself the rest of the week, come back next Sunday for, to get juiced up again for the Lord. Oh, and all between there. That wicked, deceitful heart <laughs> keeps talking to us, right? And leading us astray and wanting to rule the desires in our speech and our conduct. And the scriptures warn us here, it needs attention. It needs attention. David said it this way in Psalm 39.1. I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. Guarding closely those things related to his speech. So why guard the, why guard the heart and care for it? What are, we, what are we trying to do here? Let me give you a fictitious scenario here. Might hit a little more close to our Liberty students, okay? Uh, I had the privilege of fellowshipping with our boundless students frequently. So I think and talk and act like them a lot, okay? And uh, so my analogy would be with them. Uh, but consider how this same circumstance will yield completely different responses, all right? Same circumstance, 
same scenario, same situation. I'm just going to give you three hypothetical reactions to the same set of circumstances, okay? Consider how these three students respond. Scenario. It's the wee hours of the morning. Okay, half of Liberty is still up, okay, to submit it. But it's the wee hours of the morning, all right? And the sane ones are asleep. And they're at the Liberty University dormitory. Let's just say it's one of the towers here. And a fire alarm goes off. And everyone's required to exit out to the rainy, cold weather outside. And three students respond differently to the same circumstances. First person, absolute hissy fit, okay? I got a big test tomorrow, and I've been fretting over this. I went to bed early. And under his breath, there's just choice words, all right, that aren't worth repeating. And his response is, I hate dorm life. I hate school. I hate life. Why, God, did you let this happen? Second person's response. Wow, this is awesome. I get to see the one I'm dating again today because he lives on the floor above. And there he is, Mr. Charming, Mr. Wright. And they just relish the moment. And they're enjoying it. They get to talk. They never completed their conversation earlier. Curfew time came, and it was just time to gather again. And this is just a God thing. And God just worked it all together. It's a <laughs> ring for the spring. It's here. And the third person, he or she prays, Lord, I don't know who pulled that fire alarm, but I pray you work in that person's heart. There are those here at Liberty whose life is going in the wrong direction. Soften that person. Save that person. You know their needs. You know who they are. Do a work in their life that I can't do. Same set of circumstances, three very different responses, right? I mean, the first person who had the hissy fit, well, he probably wanted a good grade. Is that a bad desire? No. Perhaps he wants to keep a scholarship. Another good reason to stay on top of things. But in one way or another, he had what he thought he had in control of. It was taken away, right? He no longer had control to fulfill the good desires he wanted to accomplish. That was taken away when the fire alarm went off. His goals were jeopardized, right? The second person who got to see Mr. Wright again, why did they react in such a good way? Well, maybe that was the person that they're dating is where they get security and comfort. They got to see Mr. Wright again, the one they desired to see and the one they wanted to develop their relationship. All good desires, but in their case, the circumstances worked well for them. And it was easy to kind of go with the flow there when I could see something good coming from a desire from my heart. And of course, the third person's heart went out to the perpetrator who pulled the alarm, right? All three desires are worthy ones but the reactions were quite different. And remember, the first one in particular was a sinful response. Why was one sinful and the other seemingly innocent and fine and perhaps very good and wholesome? 
It goes back to what we'll be looking at here, the desires of your heart. Or what more specifically we want to look at is the ruling desires of your heart. What I'll begin looking at is we're going to go to the book of James here. And we're looking at what we would consider biblical keys to our human behavior. Why we say the things we do, why we react the way we do, why we might result, uh, 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 respond in anger, why we might uh, uh, respond with gossip or flattering words. Why do we do those things? What we're going to find out here as we look at circumstances, what we're going to see is that circumstances, whether they're good or bad, are not the root issue of my sinful behaviors. Oh, it's the first place we go to, right? I didn't do well on my test. My mind was all set away. I, I couldn't think properly because of what happened last night. And that's why I spoke with angry words. It was my circumstances' fault. Of course, we know if you carry that far enough, you know we're blaming God, right? My environment is ultimately not the cause of sinful speech and words. Get this. The, the circumstances and the difficult ones are merely the occasions God uses to expose what are the ruling desires of my heart. They're just the occasions. They just expose what's there. And what we will, uh, what we will call here, what we'll call this, and what you have heard before is idols of the heart. Okay, We're going to be looking at idols of the heart. So second key passage, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Let me read that out loud. We'll, we'll look at this a little more carefully. James 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Right? Why did I speak those angry words when the fire alarm was pulled? And uh, I, I, I was all bent out of shape. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Didn't talk about a fire alarm. Didn't talk about your circumstances. Went right down to the heart of the matter. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We're going to go look at several observations again here. Let's bring out these points of the ruling desires in our heart and why we speak sinfully. We're getting down to the root, okay? Idols of the heart here. Why we say the things we do. Oops. There we go. And the first takeaway is this. There's an inseparable connection between the desires of my inward heart and my outward behavior. James asks the question, what does cause quarrels and what causes fights among you? Quarrels, fights, lots of ugly conflict, right? Outward sinful behavior and words and actions, and he provides the answer in the last part of verse 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Here we have the culprit exposed. Angry behavior and its source is identified. It's my desires at war inside me. And as you see on your handout or you see on the screen, the desires of my inward heart is what leads to my outward behavior in my actions and speech. Notice what's going on in the heart here. There are passions and desires at work. We all know this, right? 
And James uses several words here to describe these desires, these, these passions, right? He, he uses the word passions in verse 1 that are at war within you. You could also say these are pleasures or the desire for pleasure. Verse 2, first part, you desire. This is a word you could use for lust as well. It's a strong word for desire. I really, really want this. Last part of verse 2, you covet. It's to desire something earnestly here. Now, in this context, these words for desire, pleasure, coveting, they have a negative connotation. They're self-serving here. But let me, let me make something clear here. Let's realize that desire and pleasure in and of itself is not simple unless it's morally wrong from Scripture, right? Desire itself is not the issue. The passage is not saying that all pleasure is sinful. It's not saying that to live a holy life, I must deny myself of all pleasure and enjoyment and repent of anything that that gives me pleasure. It is not saying that all comforts and relaxation are self-centered and sinful, resulting in conflict. What it is saying is this. My desires are fighting for control in the battlefield of my heart. My desires want supremacy. Supremacy that's only afforded to God. And when I start sinning outwardly or with my tongue, in speech or in action, I'm giving supremacy to something else. Rather than God being in control and the one I follow and serve, it is these desires. My desires are fighting for control in the battlefield of my heart. This word for war, it's a a military campaign. There's a literal spiritual battle going on inside for supremacy. Now, if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, he's Lord. But oh, and the battles and skirmishes through the day and our wicked and deceitful hearts that often throw deceitful desires in front of us, right? Where did temptation come from? We were reminded this morning, weren't we? They come from within, my desires. And our sinful heart is constantly wooing us away from what's right and good to what's a cheap alternative and sinful and not glorifying to God. The war's participants are simply defined. It is self versus God. It's my kingdom versus God's kingdom. It's God's control versus my control. And when we yield to sinful, self-centered desires, well, we get sinful, self-centered speech. And when we yield to righteous God-honoring desires from the heart, it leads to pleasing and good speech. And the nature of this battle is clarified further in verse 2 when we go to our last observation here from James 4, is legitimate desires become sinful when I'm willing to sin to fulfill them many of you have understood this you've seen this before you've heard this before and let's think again the the what we're really talking about here you desire and do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask why you you desire you don't have it you are denied and so you respond sinfully you covet and cannot get what you covet And so you respond sinfully, fighting and quarreling. You see the correlation. You see the tie tie between sinful behavior and ruling desires of the heart, right? 
how to know? How do I know if my desire has become a wrong desire? What is it? You can ask yourself three questions. We've asked you these questions before in various ways in our in our fellowship before. What a reminder. What is it that I desire or want? Am I willing to sin to fulfill this desire? And do I respond sinfully when this desire is unfulfilled? You'll remember a few Truth and Light conferences ago. We had Brad Bigney in. And um, I think Gospel Treason is the name of his book. And we focused on idols of the heart. I remember this passage. Ezekiel 14.3 Son of man... These men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Idols of the heart. Things that are ruling our hearts rather than Christ and God. Something has taken the place. An idol takes the place of God. An idol takes the the place of our worship that's exclusively to be given to God in his ways. In Brad Bigney, uh, he explained an idol is this. An idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. Idols of the heart. There are root sins. If you just try to slap the dummy, change the speech, blame the circumstances, you're not getting to the root issue. Should should sinful speech be confessed? Absolutely. That should be brought for the Lord in confession, repentance. I need to put that away. And I need to put on righteous speech in his place. But make no mistake about it. It's going to be really tough to conquer that sin until you get to the heart. This spokesperson, right, of the tongue, it just comes from the heart. It's the sin behind the sin. It's the God that's dictating my reality. Paul Tripp said it like this. Our words are shaped by the dream that resides in our hearts. Put well. What am I aiming for in life? Why do I get up in the morning? What are the reasons I come to church? Oh, I I think so often of how inconsistent my speech is to come and church really sincerely sincerely want to fellowship with you and talk with you and encourage you in some way listen to you and just like the the spring of water where there's salt and fresh coming out of it the inconsistency of the tongue like james told us about last week uh, we go home cursing we go home complaining why is why did why did we think about getting dinner ready before we got home or maybe maybe you've had this same occurrence uh, happen on your way to church like I have I, I live on the east side and I'm coming up Waterlick and we have this nice little median anyone notice that median there what am I not able to do I can't take my left anymore anyone a few minutes late uh, later than usual you know uh, I've complained more than once to my wife and I go inside and everything's glowing how's your day going inconsistent oh so easy to do idols I, I, I want things to be convenient I want things to be comfortable I want things to work my way and when I'm not in charge 
If I've taken something in my heart to take the place of God who needs to be in charge in his word, I sin. I sin to preserve. I sin to keep. Your words are important. They're revealing something about what's ruling inside. Do not ignore them. We need to identify the sin behind the sin, or also known as we need to identify the ruling desires of my heart. Let's look at some categories here. Ruling desires or idols. Several different resources um, clarify this. This is not new with me, but I thought these were helpful. What are ruling desires or idols? Here's some categories that maybe can help you kind of, as you think about why you say what you say that shouldn't be said, and you want to find out what that ruling desire is, start with one of these categories. This might be helpful. Category one, power and success. A longing for influence and recognition. Control and certainty. Longing that my plans come to fruition. Craving that my plans work out according to my agenda and what I've planned and in the timing in which I've planned it. Approval and esteem, another common ruling desire. I long for acceptance from others. I long to be desirable in the eyes of others. What others think or say about you has too high a priority in your heart. And number four, comfort and ease. The longing for pleasure, comfort, relaxation. You know, you can look at a number of these here and say, you know, not all these are wrong desires. It's great to look for success in the workplace from a good day's work, a career you're working on. We already talked about comfort and ease. There's a place for relaxation. There's a place for the sabbatical of the week, if you will. control or having an idea to make plans for the future. We're told, man, the the ants work and they plan for the future and they store in the winter and we, we want some degree of wisdom in our life. But note in all these categories if they're a ruling desire, it's all about me. Me is the center, not God. This is idolatry. This is a worship problem. It's the worship of self. It's putting self in the driver's seat of life. And anyone that tries to sit on your lap or push you aside gets a talking to because they're interfering with my ruling desire, my idol. And this is not the worship of God. So ask yourself when words come out that shouldn't. Why did I say what I said? Why did I say what I said in such a horrible manner? You had a little bit of homework last week. It was basically listen to yourself and consider the circumstances, right, of when you said those things or were tempted to. And that's something you forgot to do or you're here the first time. Maybe think back a little bit today or through the week. Why did I say what I say? What were the circumstances? Why do I gravitate and give in to telling and hearing gossip? Am I craving attention? Am I looking for the admiration of others? They have the skinny, they have the, the story. 
Why can't I control swearing in a, in a fit of anger? Did I have a change of plans? Was it a fire alarm that went off in the middle of the night with all everything I had? I even prayed about it. And we respond in anger. What? We wanted a good thing too much, didn't we? Maybe we want comfort and relaxation on our home, our, our way, way home from work and we're ready to come into the house and we're looking for that meal that's ready and kids with all the diapers changed and, and everyone lined up just ready for family devotions right after the meal and, it, and you come back and it's like there's this, the fire alarm's going off and the, the, the dinner's burning and, and the kids are running around outside and, and, and your wife's ready for a nap. Uh, and it's like, wow, change of plans. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Anger, anger, anger. Functionally, that desire has become too important. It's become a ruling desire. Why do I complain? Why invent when faced with less than ideal situations? Maybe it's the loss of ease. Maybe it's a difficult boss. Why do I pour on flattering words of insincere praise? Is it power? Is it control? Is it I'm trying to get something from someone to do something for me and I'm getting them in my good graces insincere praise so the next time you say something out of line sinful speech ask yourself what am I desiring so much that I will sin to get it or keep it or sin when I don't get it make the connection our tongues tattle on our hearts if you want to address the tongue you must address the heart and there's encouragement here my speech will progressively grow more godly when I turn my heart to God day by day, moment by moment, Sunday by Sunday, when I take the word of God and I become a doer of the word and I put faith and belief in the words of God, not just intellectual, but I believe this and I will step out in faith and obey. And and God just starts changing you progressively step by step to be more like Christ and as you do that you'll see a reformed tongue as well so what are we talking about here in your handout or on the screen a desire that's all about pleasing self a ruling desire that's sinful might be a good desire but we want it too much it leads to behavior that's disobedient sinful words and actions right and oftentimes with that are emotional responses that aren't healthy Anger, temper tantrums, anxiety, depression. Put the connection here. Now we're going to talk about the physiological things that might be attributing to some of these emotions. But make no mistake about it. Our heart and our behavior is invariably connected to how we respond. In our mental state, in our emotions, you can typically trace that back make the connection and maybe you need some help in doing that that's why we have pastors and mature saints that's why we have a body of believers and you might think wow i have a lot of anxious words and i i I struggle with trusting god and i have panic attacks and what do i do and we'll oftentimes see these behaviors just trace back to inordinate desires that we can take to the lord realizing he's promised us everything we need for life and godliness with a proper application of his truth. So ask yourself, what are my ambitions? Are they God's ambitions? Am I striving to orient my life in God's direction or mine? 
Second Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, make it your aim to please him. Fundamentally, what we're looking at here is a reorientation of our life, our heart. It's what Jesus is in the process of doing. He's given us the new heart. Now think. I must cooperate with that. Work out your, fear, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who is at work. God's going to work, but you must fear. You must, you must work out your salvation. There is some sweat. There is some effort. God works through means. He gives grace to the humble. Well, you might need to humble yourself. You want God's grace? Humble yourself. You don't wait for God to zap. Humble yourself, right? Relinquish the pride. Confess, repent, turn, right? It's this, it's this fundamental reorientation. It's our desires, our time, centered on the Lord Jesus and his purposes. It's a mortification of fleshly self-centeredness and directing our heart to a love for God and others. It's what we know about as putting off sin and putting on righteousness. And the question we must ask ourselves as we listen to our tongue is, well, what's ruling my heart? Listen to your tongue. Now, a life that strives to please God, we all know too well. It's not a trouble-free life, is it? We're not talking about comfort and ease here, right? Or a little harp that get, that rolls up like Pastor Farrell had, you know, before he went into his surgery, he was talking about, you know, he's so here in harps, and we're on a cloud, and we're just floating around, and everything's good. It's not comfort and ease, but it's a life that is well-pleasing, and it transcends your circumstances. So let's go to some parting instructions as time keeps moving along here, okay? Some parting instructions. I, I wrestled with this. How do, you, how do I share in three, four, five minutes? How do I tend to your heart? <laughs> you, I, I, I came to the conclusion I can't. Uh, I'm going to give you some parting instructions here and things I believe you could really work on. But ultimately, it's just it's being a good church member, right? It's being involved with the body of Christ. There, there, there's things we are taught every day that will nurture your hearts and challenge it to be like Jesus. And the question is going to be what we do with that. Some parting instruction. Let's start with this. You got it on your sheet there as well. Invite God to reveal the idols of your heart. Invite him. Lord, I got a sinful heart. I'll admit it. It's deceitful. I don't even know what to look for. I know I'm saying some things, but Lord, I need, I need discernment. I need help. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Help me. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask this and ask the Lord, what have I been believing that is a lie? What do I believe I need to fulfill to make me happy? What am I pursuing that I want so desperately? What am I idolizing or worshiping? Is it you, Lord, or is it my desires? What am I making too much of? What good thing am I loving too much? What do I value or prize the most? Am I satisfied with you, Lord? This heart issue, it's a worship issue, isn't it? Ask God, invite him to reveal. And oftentimes he'll use others in the body of Christ to help you or a faithful husband or wife, right? And many times from the, baby, the, the lips of our children as well. 
Number two, addressing your heart. Trust God's words to identify ruling desires. Trust God's words. Hebrews 4.12. Listen to this. This is a passage you all know, but look at it in this way. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and listen to this, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Those intentions, the desires of the heart. The word of God gives discernment. It puts a spotlight on these things. Oh, Lord, give, give my heart sway to your word to light those areas in my life, to spotlight those things I've made too important. Let the word of Christ dwell in me richly and learn to value Christ more than anything else. It's a battle for control. It's self or it's God. And when you sin with your tongue, it wasn't God that won the moment. It was your ruling desire that you gave into your idol. Number three, evaluate your choice of words and difficulties. Right? Psalm 19, verse 14. David recognized this uh, close association with his words in his heart, and he prayed this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart... Boy, it's so, so easy when things aren't working well, when the curveball comes in the strike zone that you weren't expecting. Ah, to let what is so precious here, too precious in our hearts, just be vented, revealing something that's too important to us. I just wrote out a prayer. Oh, Lord, use the circumstances of my life to reveal the condition of my heart to reveal my ruling desires, to listen to words that expose the true master in that moment. And anything that has taken precedence or priority over you or your ways, Lord, I give them to you today. I submit them to you. And I accept and receive the forgiveness and cleansing that comes through the work of Christ on my behalf. Let's go to number four. Parting instructions. Live and make decisions as if what God says is true. I find it very easy in my life to know about God, but much harder to live in such a way as if it's really true. Like I really believe it. In other words, what I'm talking about here is what I'm believing functionally in my life, not just intellectually, but functionally. All right? I won't ask for a show of hands today but I think we get 100% in my survey is God good yeah, the hmms were just fine right that's just like a hand <laughs> is God loving is God wise does he know what he's doing does he always have the best plan and the best arrangement for our lives does he, always, does he always figure out the best outcome in his wise and sovereign plans is God sovereign is he in control does God know all things Does the God who knows all things and is totally good and loving and that's sovereign as well? You know Romans 8, 28, 29? 
For it is God who, what? Help me. God works all things together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Thank you for the jump start. Uh, When you look back at those categories and the words that come out of our mouths or the actions that reveal a ruling desire, think about how I've questioned and really demonstrated unbelief to what I say I believe. If I'm craving for certainty and control and I don't get what I want when I want it, I'm, I'm violating when I speak angrily or impatiently or I'm whining or I'm complaining. What am I doing? I'm venting my disbelief in what I say I believe. I'm functionally contradicting what I say I believe. What I find over and over again that's helpful for my heart is taking my heart back when it's tempted to vent, to say things I shouldn't say, to act in a way that would be unfruitful and unproductive. I think back to the character of God and what I say I believe, and then I choose to believe it. This is walking by faith. Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and they, they reward those who seek him. That God rewards those who seek him. I must believe in who God says he is and then step by step act in such a way as if I really believe it. You know the difference there, right? Praise God for the doctrine, the teaching, the things we get from week to week. But guys, we have to take it from here in our head and bring it down to our heart and face up against those ruling desires that want supremacy. And when it questions the character of God, you have to go back and say, I will choose to obey despite the appearances of what's going on, and I'll put my faith and trust in what God has said. By faith I will believe, and, and, and by faith I will obey. And that goes, by faith, that, that goes whether I, I feel like it or not. Don't go by your emotions, folks. Hey, if the emotions are there and you feel like doing it, Great. But let your faith in God, who he says he is, be your ruling desire, whether you feel like doing it or not. And finally, last, last parting instruction. Loosen your grip on it, idolatrous, idolatrous desires, and tighten your grip on Christ. We must embrace Christ. He must be our first love. When you love Christ more, there's left, less room for love of self. He must be the end all, the be all of our life why we do the things we do. Think about the things you're taking into your life. Think about the things you meditate on. Think about your time in social media. Is it bringing you closer to God or further away? And make some decisions. He must be the center. He must be the object of my faith. He must be the object of my worship. There's work in putting off idols, and we must put on Christ. This is the work of confession, repentance, where there is no mortification of sin, our selfish desires will rule. It's our default. We must be active in the mortification of our sin. Now, the agent of change is the Holy Spirit. He's the one at work. And the more we abide in Christ, well, he says we can do those things when we abide in him, but we can do nothing without him. Now, next week, we're going to be looking at uh, sinful speech, sins of the tongue. 
all right? So we're looking at those things we need to put off. And perhaps in the course of next week, we'll be looking at different ties to our hearts that fuel these sinful speech patterns, okay? And what, well, you know, what's going to be important is just coming ready to say, well, is that me? Is that, is that what I struggle with? So we want to ID the sins of the tongue. It's quite possible we sin with our tongues more often than we think, and we just haven't identified it as a sin. <laughs> and the week after that, after we look at what to put off next week, the week after that, we're going to be see- seeing what to put on. Putting off, putting on, putting off sinful speech and replacing that with righteous speech and how to attach that to the heart. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. Thank you for uh, just these listening ears, Lord. Just work your truth in our hearts and lives. Lord, oh, we struggle with idols. Uh, Calvin said our, our, our hearts are idol factories. And Lord, you've said in your word we've taken idols in our hearts. And oh, Lord, sometimes we take a very good thing and make it just too important. And we've undermined your authority in our life. Oh, Lord, help us to see those clearly. Lord, you've promised to be with us. You've given us your spirit. You've given us everything for life and godliness through all the precious promises. You've given us a wonderful fellowship. Oh, Lord, you're, you're so kind and so gracious. Give us, give us a heart to look at things that aren't pleasing in your sight, take it back to what rules us, and just be ready to confess, repent to turn from these and to turn more to you. We just are so excited, Lord, that you you are committed to this growth process and everything you, everything you do in our lives, just making us more like the Lord Jesus. And maybe that, that be the case through the week here until we meet again next Sunday. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.